Just to give you a rundown of what the night looks like tonight, um, it's going to be amazing. We're going to have uh, some panel time with uh, people that have uh, spent time overseas with their family or taken their family overseas on short-term trips. And we're also going to have a, a time where we talk about what it looks like to, to train our families to love the nations. What in the world can we do with our kids uh, to help them to see that the nations are, a, are an important part of the world and to see God's love for the nations, which is going to be so good for us. I know that's what I'm most excited about. And then lastly, uh, we're going to hear from an awesome couple. They're going to talk about their time on the field as a family and some things that they experienced and how you can prepare to go uh, for that. So it's just going to be an awesome night, and I'm so excited that you're here. Hi, um, I'm Katie Musser. I have been newly hired here. I think I know most of you, but um, I'm the family ministry director, and uh, my husband Aaron and I will be speaking after this panel. Uh, but I get to lead the panel, starting off with us tonight. So I was wondering for you guys if you would just be willing to start by telling us your name and how many kids you have and where you've lived overseas with them or where you've taken them on a trip. And so why don't we start with Kurt down there? Um, I think, yeah. <laughs> Okay, look at this. Um, I gotta watch what I say now. Apparently, um, so no. Okay, uh, Paula was active duty, so we uh, in the Air Force. So uh, after her assignment uh, in Biloxi, Mississippi, uh, we went to uh, the country of Turkey uh, for two years and the country of Germany uh, for three years, and then uh, moved uh, here to the United States. Um, and obviously in that time, I uh, traveled kind of all over um, Turkey and all the surrounding areas of Turkey and uh, Europe and um, that. So that's kind of our background. And we have three kids. Uh, one child was born in Turkey in a Turkish hospital. And we had um, our daughter was born in Germany um, in the military hospital there. And one poor American baby. <laughs> After this, you should ask. Uh, you, you should ask Paula why you should have a baby in Turkey because apparently you get like massages and manicures. Um, it sounds awesome. Um, I'm Michelle, and Barrett and I have one little girl who's two and a half, and she has been on short term trips with ICC to Guatemala and to Serbia twice. I'm Chen Hong Lee. Um... So, uh, yeah, my husband Peter and I, we have one boy, Perry. He's 11 years old. Um, we, I don't know why I'm here, uh, but <laughs> I think uh, we've been to Guatemala once and uh, then um, multiple times going to China among my family and the relatives with Perry. Great. Thank you. So, um, yeah, here at ICC, we just really want to encourage uh, families to take mission trips. Um, we think it's important, but um, we want you guys to just share uh, what motivated you to first do this and maybe why do you think it's important? Um, so, Barrett, one of the things that Barrett and I talked about long before we had children, it was that we wanted, number one, for our life to not take a drastic, like, 
180 degree turn after we had kids that we still wanted to do the things that we were passionate about and um, to carry our children alongside of us in those things. And so one of the things that we've always been passionate about um, before we knew each other and then um, as a couple was that we were passionate about missions and we were passionate about being, um, about going overseas and um, continuing to take the gospel to the nations. And so it felt like a really natural fit for us to uh, when we had the opportunity to take Caroline with us on that. And so um, she spent her first birthday in Guatemala. And so we started pretty early. Um, the advantage to taking a child really young is that before they're two, they fly for free. So it was a really cheap trip that time. Um, but yeah, it's been, it's been a part of our family DNA. And long before Caroline was born, we knew that we wanted it to be a part of her DNA. And so um, we have tried to, to incorporate that into what we do and, and the choices that we make with our um, time and energy. Um, I'd also add that it was important for us and for our kids to have kind of a worldview of um, not just a, you know, a neighborhood or a family, but just a, a worldview of everything and um, to love all people just like God loves all the nations. Yeah, I was going to pretty much say almost the same thing, is that, uh, you know, coming from a very small town in Illinois, um, I think we, I was very sheltered as a boy, and I didn't really have any diversity in my school. I didn't really know anything um, outside of that really small community. So for, for me, I knew I always had the heart for going overseas and knowing more about the world. Um, and even though our kids haven't been on a mission trip through ICC, um, Paula recently went um, to Kenya, uh, and I think it was just great for our kids to really see, like, there's more than just... Memphis. There's more than just like grandma and grandpa's house. Um, so since our time in, you know, Paula going to Kenya, we've kind of even connected like with a little boy there in Africa through compassion, uh, really where the kids can still continue to see like the world is a much bigger place than what we have uh, just here locally. Well, um, I could say spiritually I was born and raised in ICC and the mission has always been in the gym of ICC, so I always wanted to be a part of that. Um, I think as far as Perry going to Guatemala, um, I don't know who brought who go, <laughs> going to Guatemala. <laughs> um, but, uh, um, yeah, I think the other thing I'm drawn to the people, when I hear people coming back and to the places where they're describing the people over there and the neediness and just uh, I just uh, kind of personally was able to connect with that and remind me of my childhood upbringing. So I just naturally have that uh, longing, wanted to be there. And um, I think I wanted Perry to know America is up there. It's not the norm. So I wanted him to be able to see a more complete picture. Thank you, guys. Um, I was wondering if you could talk about um, what were your fears in living abroad or taking your kids there? What were some obstacles you faced with traveling? Um, what were some of the hard parts of taking these trips or just being overseas? Right. So I'm going to try to watch what I say in case my family is listening to this. Um, but I think the greatest thing that I had, um, the biggest struggle we had um, was when we chose to like, move overseas was that we really didn't have any family support. And I think that was one of the hardest challenges we had, knowing that we were going to go over there and hopefully start a family. Um, and there's just so many doubts that we got from our own family, whether, you know, having a child in Turkey. 
um, having a child in Germany, having these grandkids without um, mom and dad, uh, or grandma and grandpa, I should say. So I think that was probably our biggest struggle that we had uh, for Paul and I to know that we were kind of by ourselves. Uh, So I think from that, we had to really search out um, who our church family was at the time and to really connect with those uh, folks who were going to lead us down that uh, avenue of um, a Christian walk. And not that we didn't have a Christian walk with our parents um, or a family, but it, it was difficult because they have so many doubts on what we're doing. Uh, and I think it was just our continued, continued relationship with the Lord to know that we were doing what he had envisioned for our family. Um, and then even continues long-term. I mean, even the Paula going to Kenya um, this last June, I mean, there's, you know, it's even so hard to ask our parents in our family to say, hey, we're, you know, wanting to get Paula to go to Kenya. Can we get some type of monetary support? I mean, we didn't even go down that road because we didn't even have any initial blessing support. So I think knowing that, I mean, that's where we rely on you all and our, you know, our church family um, to give that to us. So, um, I'll add just a, a little bit of the, some of the struggles we had is um, you learn that this trip is not about any trip that you take is not about you at all. Um, you know, but it, learning to give up a lot of things uh, for your kids um, to take them places is, but it's been totally worth it every time that I've done that. Um, when it, it kind of makes you slow down a little bit and enjoy more um, and more of what God is bringing in that journey. So just from a practical level, I would say that the one of the more challenging things for me is the actual travel piece of going overseas. And it's a little bit terrifying to take an infant or a toddler on a plane um, to illustrate this, I will say that the last time we went to Serbia, um, we, which was like last August, um, Caroline was, how old was she too? Um, and so we had like our umbrella stroller and we were good to go, but Barrett can't travel with us because he has to stay back for an extra day to preach. And then he leaves after church on Sunday. So it's just me and the girls, um, traveling and we were doing good. And then, um, we, on our way back, we started getting, we were uh, like late for a flight. We'd been delayed and, um, we like come off of the train that's supposed to take us to the next terminal and we're so late and it's like super scary. And I'm like, oh my gosh, we're going to get back to the United States ever. And, um, anyway, and so we get to, we get off the train and we go, we're like running, like literally, and we go to this, um, we try to go to an elevator and then we try, and then we look at like this staircase, so like a escalator thing. The escalator's not working. The elevator's not working. And there are seven flights of stairs, small child, two-year-old, um, with a stroller, no Barrett. Um, and I'm like, what are we going to do with a small child? So sweet Megan, who goes with us, she's not a member here, but she goes with us to Serbia every year. Um, she grabs one of the stroller and we take off up the steps, seven flights of steps, small child stroller, like all of the gear that you need to travel with a small child. Um, it, y'all, I hadn't worked out since before Caroline was born. <laughs> like it was not pretty seven flights of steps. Um, Bear wasn't there. Uh, he heard about it later. Um, so we get to the top of the first set of fly, flight of steps, and I turn the corner, and there's another like set of flight of steps. And um, and luckily at this point, there's somebody. This is like a German airport. There's somebody else right in front of us, and they walk to the escalator that looks like it's broken again. Walks up to it, and as he's walking up to it, it starts moving. Don't worry, it's motion activated because it's Germany. 
and I've just walked up seven flights of steps because I thought it was broken. Um, so <laughs> those moments are the moments when you're like, let me find Jesus in my inner character. <laughs> Because otherwise, this is going to be really ugly for my husband. Um, so, um, I, you know, things like that happen when you travel and they happen when you're overseas. And um, you just kind of have to roll with the punches. And the good news is that I don't think I've ever been a flight where my kid was the loudest kid on the flight, which always makes you feel a little bit better. Um, but, it, it, you know, it, I think people... <laughs> yeah. Don't ever give candy to the other passengers because you're going to make me look bad. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I think just the practicality of like, what do you, how do you travel with an infant and how do you travel with a toddler and what are the things you can do? How, what are all the things that you can pack to entertain them? And um, what do you do about food and water and those kind of things? And um, luckily there's a lot of good Pinterest boards on that. And Courtney Kasner helped me with some entertainment. And, um, and so, you know, it turns out that it's, it's fine and it's never as bad as you fear and it's never as bad as you think it could be. Um, and there's lots of good helpful, both strangers and non-strangers who, um, who travel with us that have been really helpful in those kind of situations. And so, um, so yeah, I think, I think what I've taken away from that is that it's never going to be as bad as I fear, but it never hurts to be over-prepared. Um, so, um, that's what I walk away with. Well, I think Guatemala was our first official mission trip, so there are a lot of things, a lot of fears and obstacles, and um, I think internally and externally, uh, I think, um, I think those, um, every time those uh, preparation meetings really get me prepared, and then I go out and I talk to people, and my coworker are like, did you tell our boss you're going on a mission trip? Don't do that. I'm like... What did I do? <laughs> so um, that kind, that type of thing. So, um, but uh, the other thing is, I I've been always um, wondering, and does God really want me to go on a trip given given the circumstances? Um, so I think, but that worked through, and just uh, mm, there was a motivation to pray to really seek God on this issue. Um, so, and then, let's see, there's, um, so it was very helpful, I I guess, obstacle or, so it's to, um, help the family members to understand, uh, the, the trip is not going to be, um, it's not, so, so like just to help with, with some factual things to present it to the family member so that you know they may um, understand uh, where we're going and why we're going there. So that's an opportunity to, I guess, to share with the, within the family why this is important, why we go there. And then uh, I think uh, as a parent, I Perry was already ten or nine, I can't remember, but I naturally was like, <laughs> "Are we seriously going?" And I mean. Somebody look up the crime rate for me. I'm like, <laughs> but so, but um, I think it was really helpful. I'm thinking if Caroline's going, we're going. <laughs> it is, yeah. So, um, yeah, that's all. Thank you. Um, my next question is, um, what? How do you think the trip affected your children? Uh, spiritually, emotionally, uh, mentally, 
Um, just how did you see them when they were there inter- interacting with other internationals and how did they grow from that time? Um, I kind of think that our children were kind of a, a, a gateway to meet other people. Um, in Turkey especially, it was rude if you walked by a baby and didn't say hello. And then we had a blonde-haired, blue-eyed baby in Turkey who was basically a celebrity. I mean, we walked in the room and we walked, went to restaurants and Carter was taken to the back to get cookies and me and Kurt could have a nice meal together. So um, it was amazing, though, to see how people reacted to, to him and to our children. Um, and it, for us, it was a way to not feel so isolated in a different country um, where we didn't speak the language. Um, and especially in a Muslim culture where... Um, ain't nobody talking to me, you know, so it, it was great. That part was great. Uh, and then not only that, but you could connect with other mothers. You already, you already knew um, something you had in common. Um, I think what, I think it goes back to kind of what Paula was saying at the very beginning. I think what I love about Caroline being on mission with us is that I see her um, see other people who are really different from her and speak a different language than her and um, than she does and um, that are, you know, come from a totally different experience than she does and that she um, can play with them and joyfully interact with them and interact with their families in a way where none of those barriers are there. Um, and so I, I think, I know it's not entirely realistic, but I, my prayer and my hope is that you know, as we continue to expose her to the world and as she continues to expose us to the world, um, that she will grow up uh, to see herself as part of a much bigger picture, um, to see herself as um, uh, really a part of a global economy um, and a, a kingdom mindset um, that that sees things bigger than her backyard and sees her things bigger than Memphis and um, and really sees those in a way where she interacts with those without hesitancy um, because those differences are not bad differences, they're good differences um, that, that enable her to know people better and love people well and, um, and hopefully, you know, share the gospel with them one day and, um, and know that, that those differences are, are opportunities. And so that's what I hope she walks away with. Um, I think um, it helps Perry to be um, more grateful to one seeing the uh, kids who had nothing but uh, are so thankful, um, so friendly. And uh, um, it also, I also see him how, like, during those days in Guatemala, I started to be able to connect and um, befriend and enjoy uh, it was not the first day it, but that process I see that change and uh, another great aspect about Guatemala trip is uh, guys and girls have separate um, dorms so it's a wonderful opportunity for Perry to be among godly men day and night and watch them get up and pray 
and then for him to know men do pray, like do spend time with God. So um, I think that had some impact on him afterwards when he came back. And uh, I think he's talking about he wanted to serve Jesus. He think one way is to um, serve overseas to the people who uh, doesn't have what we have. Um, so I think little steps um, building up. And as far as uh, times in China, I think he... Um, it is kind of like a foreign country for him. It's a home for me, but uh, so see him to um, accept another diet um, and just the people who are different, living in a different way. Um, yeah, that's very interesting. I don't know if I'm making sense, <laughs> but um, and to have the opportunity to see that to, I can hear him sometimes talking about just um, to just to sense that darkness. Um, in other people's lives and to see him to be able to um, pray with grandma when my mom not much interested in me praying for him but for her but Perry was able to be that connect so uh, I think all these things Lord is um, giving him the opportunity to build into I don't know whatever the um, so that he may know that, that he, it's now like like he doesn't have to wait until like a grown up or certain so he can serve now thank you Um, our last question is um, about when you come home um, how how do you keep the conversation going and um, how do you uh, still bring that experience into your lives here Um, how do you process that as a family A couple of things. So um, one of those when Paula went to uh, Kenya, um, I think I mentioned earlier, uh, we connected with um, a little boy, Shem, in uh, Africa uh, that we continue to uh, pray for. Uh, And the same thing with we have a little girl that we sponsor in um, Honduras. Uh, Let's see. So each of our kids are kind of paired up with um, a girl and a boy that we can kind of continue on um, and knowing that those um, kids are over there and continue that – we continue to pray for them, and, you know, they're part of our um, daily life, really. Um, and also, you know, in our time, like, living in, you know, where Carter was born in Turkey, I mean, that's such a, it was a huge event for us. I mean, living over there and just getting in it. Um, we had a nanny um, named Eliz over there, and she was just um, an incredible part of our life. And really, uh, you know, she, she's Muslim, and her whole family is Muslim, but she really became part of our family and just seeing that, um, you know, we constantly talk about um, Eliz and, like, that's still part of, like, Carter now um, because that was his, his nanny. And so we still, still try to use that experience and incorporate what we learned in Turkey and, like, um, the, the culture there to kind of tell him more about, like, his childhood and tell him about how he was um, a baby and how she took care of him, even though, like, you know, her culture is very different than, than our own here in America. Um, so then it's just a transition to continue the... Um, Teach, teach our kids more about um, just all the different cultures that they've experienced, with it, even though they may not remember them right now. You know. I think um, for us, one of the things that was said, Mark Morris said last night, uh, that I thought was really impactful for me was that he talked about how sometimes 
we have to work really hard, especially when you're working with refugees, we have to work really hard to put ourselves on level ground. Um, so when you're working with people who are really poor or who are a lot less educated than you are or who, um, you know, come from a really different background than you do even here in the States, um, that that sometimes we it feels like we have to work hard to kind of shed the things that differentiate us. Um, and so I, I definitely think we have experienced that overseas, that, you know, when you go to Guatemala, you're building a house for somebody who's literally lived under tarps and corn stalks. Um, and that's a really different experience than my 2,000 square foot house um, that has heating and air and appliances and electricity and all of these things. And um, and so I think it, what I found once Caroline started going with us was that she was a kind of the great equalizer for us was that when Caroline walked, when I walked into the room with Caroline, I wasn't a doctor from the U.S. I was a mom. Um, and that was really easy to make connections as a mom, um, where I think it would have been much more difficult in any other setting. And so I think, I, I think I've, I hope that we help continue to use that here, um, that when I go to the park on Mud Island and there are four different cultures, you know, that are represented there, that I'm just a mom with all the rest of them. Um, and that, um, that Caroline sees all of them just like she sees the kids she plays with overseas is just a playmate, um, no matter how different they may be from um, who she is or where they come from. Um, so, um, so I'm grateful for that. I think that's a really unique aspect of, of going on mission with your kids, and I'm grateful for that. Um, so one thing I can, we, um, yeah, I think I hear Perry talk about uh, going to that places so that he can come back and um, pray for them. Um, the other thing, we we try to um, um, just in our daily lives is to um, have those days. Um, I mean, I love America, um, but having those days that we just have simple diet, uh, like um, like um, just a um, necessity, like not condiments and all that other things those are great but um just uh, having those days little by little uh, small steps and i can see that um i I guess i can see that um that perry's fine with that uh i think i'm just thankful i think this had to do with where he's been and what he has seen and um to kind of like michelle was trying was saying like um trying to grow him up not with the heavy weight and like a dozen choices of toothpaste flavor or something like that. <laughs> um, so, so that, you know, hopefully he'll be available for the Lord. Well, thank you guys so much. This is so great. <laughs> So it was really great to hear all your different perspectives and different ages of your kids and where you've been. So we really appreciate you guys. Um, we are having a couple mission trips coming up. If you're interested, um, we are going to Guatemala and Serbia uh, this year, and they're really focused on families. So um, we hope that you consider uh, actually doing that with your family. But um, right now, uh, I'm going to transition. Aaron and I are going to talk. Um, so Aaron, if you want to come up.
Uh, hi, guys. Uh, I'm excited to be here, and um, uh, Katie kind of introduced us at the beginning, but my name is Aaron. Um, my wife, Katie, we've been married for three years, and um, we just came back uh, to the United States this summer uh, from teaching in South Korea for three years. Um, we're also missionary kids. My wife grew up in Turkey, and I grew up in Spain, and um, we were both kind of laughing about the fact that we were asked to speak tonight because... Uh, Really, I mean, the topic that, that we're supposed to have tonight... You want to go to our first slide there? I don't know if it's going to work. Oh, okay. I think we deleted it. Anyway, uh, the, topic, the topic was uh, leading your kids to love the nations. That's what I was thinking of. Um, and so, I mean, we, we just had our first son this summer. He's seven months old, but we haven't really done much with leading him to love the nations yet. We're new parents. And, uh, you know, when it comes to our experience... Um, we kind of still stink at loving the nation sometimes. And, uh, and so I think what, one thing that we want to communicate, and Katie's going to talk more about this, is that loving the nations, whether it's for you or for your kid, is really a journey. And um, the, the time when you think, man, I'm, I'm super well-traveled. I've grown up in 59 different countries growing up. Um, you know, that's when the Lord's going to show you that you don't, you don't know as much as you think you do. And you still have a lot to learn about love. And so um, we, we don't have a whole lot... Of experience in some way, and in another way, we do have a lot of experience, and maybe you can learn from some things that we've learned. So we're just going to share a little bit, and I'm going to hand it over to Katie to share a little bit about why this is important. Um, so this is Aaron and I, before we went to Korea, <laughs> and look how happy and excited and naive we are. <laughs> um, one of my friends found these shirts in her closet and gave it to us, and we were like, yay, we're going to Korea. Anyway, so um, our journey with the nation started when we were young. Um, we were missionary kids, like Aaron said. I was in Turkey, Aaron was in Spain, um, but we weren't Caroline's age. Um, we were more like Perry's age, um, so we were a little, like we were 9, 10, 11 when we moved overseas, so we had grown up really one way and then thrown into a totally different culture, and... For both of us, parts of us loved it, and it was great, and we loved our friends we made there, and we picked up the language, and, and then parts of us um, did not love it, and we were very, we were young, and we um, complained a lot to our parents, and we didn't want to play with local kids, and um, we weren't good missionary kids at times, and God's really had to bring us through that and um, reteach us what it means to love the nations. Um, uh, this is us in Korea. Like I was saying, when we were, uh, after we graduated from high school and moved back to the United States, God, we really had a passion to go back overseas and serve long term. So despite all our obstacles as kids there, we still had that love for the nations and we wanted to move back overseas. So when we met and we're like, oh, you want to serve on missions? Like, it was great. And then right away we got married and we're like, let's go. And so we thought we were going to be like superstars and like we know how to live overseas and we're MKs and we're awesome. And so we moved to Korea and God just like pulled all that out from under us, flipped us upside down. Korean culture just shocked us. Um, we knew a lot of Koreans because Koreans are everywhere, but when, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> when you live in Seoul, um, we were working with the very, very wealthy, highest class, like one of our students, her dad owned the company Hyundai, like Hyundai cars. He owned the company. It was just very wealthy. Um, Seoul is a business culture. It's very cutthroat. 
Um, the city's open 24-7. It's go, 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 go. No one sleeps. Everyone's grumpy. Um, it's just, a, it was a really shocking culture. It wasn't this Mediterranean, like, relational culture that we had been in as kids. And so we never got invited over someone's house. Um, yeah, it was hard. We were teachers there, and that, that right there um, in Korea, like, all the pressure for education was just on us to educate, you know, these next world leaders in Korea. And so it was really stressful. That's us on the subway. That's actually not crowded. Um, sometimes you, like, to get on, you just would have to put your hands out and just push, 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 push. And, like, you're just squishing, like, everyone. Old ladies, doesn't matter. You just push. It's so bad. So um, this is Korean barbecue. That's something we did love in Korea. It was really, it was really delicious. So um, there were good things. But, yeah, God really changed um, what we thought we would be doing. Um, But this really brings us back to why we even stayed, why we didn't just run away after a year, um, is what you actually do when you're overseas and the people there. And um, yeah, these are students. Uh, We thought we'd be teaching at an international school. Uh, We were kind of lied to. It was um, 99% Korean. I think the the principal's daughter was white, so that (laughs) that was the one international kid. But we didn't care. We wanted to teach kids about Jesus, and um, it was just so, like, it was so great. We just fell in love with these kids, and they didn't know about Jesus. We didn't realize that either, and they wanted to know, and lots became saved and grew in the Lord. This little girl um, in the purple, she was in my class that first year, and she was Buddhist. Her family was Buddhist, and she came to know the Lord in my class, and we pra- she was really upset about her family, and we prayed for her family. And um, her mom sent her sister the next year, and her sister came to know the Lord. And then her mom came to know the Lord. And it was just all these stories, like God just kept working and working. And um, these eighth grade students, actually, sorry, they're like sixth grade right there, but um, Aaron really discipled them, and they just became like these crazy spiritual leaders in the high school. Like they were just shaming our high schoolers on how they should act um, before the Lord, and um, just crazy things. So... It's, it's worth it. As much as there were obstacles and really hard things, um, it was really worth it. So I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, why Why do we want this? Like, why is it important that you lead your kids to love the nations? It's, it could be really easy to, maybe not as much in our world today, but to live in your bubble and take care of your family and take care of your friends and your church, but not really think about um, the nations that are around us in Memphis or in the world. Um, So first reason, and we've heard about this if you were here last night or on Sunday, um, God's entrusted us with the responsibility. And um, I really believe that it's not just the responsibility on us, but um, your kids are a part of that too. And we even heard people sharing about that. um, If your kids have the Holy Spirit inside them, uh, wherever you go, they're taking the Spirit with them too. And they're lights in dark places, too. And I, I never want to, for Ethan growing up, I never want to put, like, this burden of, like, you're a missionary and you need to have this agenda and witness to your, like, I never want to do that. But if he is a Christian, um, I do want to empower him to speak truth. And, and kids do speak truth. They don't have a filter. So, um, yeah, this, this psalm says, Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and, and the avenger. And I do believe that God does that in dark places. He uses children. Um, and then Acts 13.47 says, for the, So the Lord has commanded us, I have placed you as a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. So, um, we could go, I mean, 
we could go all through the Bible, but God, we know that God has asked us to do this. Um, this is a little bit um, less spiritual, maybe more from an educator's viewpoint. It's something I tried to build in my students, um, is that it's a life skill um, to, to work with people from different places and to value them and value their opinion and their different way of viewing something. Um, it really opens your kids' understanding of the world. And, and we're gonna, Aaron's going to share a little bit about this. You don't have to move overseas um, for their world to be opened up. There's lots of opportunities here in Memphis for them to be engaging and interacting with people from different cultures. Um, but when they do that, it really does, um, it really helps them to see things differently. It helps them to understand that not everyone views life the same way you do. Um, and, and sometimes that, that's really hard on kids. I think it was hard on us as older kids when we were established in our ways to be like, why do Turkish people do that? Or like, I don't understand. I don't like it. Um, but it's good to have that exposure. It teaches kids to be observant and strong communicators. Um, I think we also know that our world, um, it, we call it you know, a global village now, that um, in, as your kids grow up and they go to school and they go to university when they're in the workforce, they're probably not going to be working with Americans, um, especially if they are leaders. Um, they're going to be working with all different kinds of people. And so to learn how to communicate at a young age um, with people that don't understand um, the same values you have and um, to observe the social cues and different things going on um, that it's unknown, it's a little bit risky, it's a little bit dangerous um, when your kids are interacting with kids from different cultures. I think it's good to start learning that um, now. Okay, sorry, I thought you wanted to add something. Um, yeah. Um, also, interacting with foreigners, um, back to being a little bit more spiritual, um, I really believe it uh, matures your understanding of God. Um, if you've been on a mission trip, you probably have seen this in some way or another. Um, I think especially living overseas for a long period of time, it really helps. Um, yeah, it helps you understand an aspect of God and his kingdom that's not as clear in your own culture. Um, I think for me, this really came out when we moved to Korea. Um, something the church really values there um, or that they just live in the reality that Jesus is coming back. And so they just talk about things as if he's coming. And it like, you kind of are thrown and you're like, wait, when, when? And like, it sounds like in the next year, they talk like very strategically, like oh, we need to accomplish this in our country, in the church, because we know Jesus is returning. So we have to get this done for him to come back. And it's like, whoa, okay. But it really helps your perspective that why, why am I living for this life when he really is coming back? And it, it probably is soon. Um, that was something that really stood out for me in Korea or just when you're worshiping with different people. Um, God, work, God just works in different ways. In Turkey, um, I knew a lot of testimonies of people coming to the Lord uh, through dreams uh, because Turkish people really um, listen to dreams. Like if they have a dream, it's like an omen and it means something. And so... Like in America, if we have a dream, we don't think about it at all. But God knows that Turkish people value those dreams. So God, Jesus shows up in their dreams and tells them, I'm the way. And like, that's just weird. And it's great. So I don't know. It's just exciting to learn about God in a different way when you're in a different culture. Um, it really helps to contrast darkness with light. Um, and I really like that Ching Hong mentioned that Perry picked up on that because 
uh, as a kid, that's something I immediately picked up on as well, and it really matured my spirituality as a child because I really, I had just been in the American Christian bubble where like everything's good and um, nothing had really rubbed me um, in a, a way that I was really uncomfortable with until I moved to Turkey and I was immersed in Islam and I, I suddenly saw like, whoa, like the gospel is really true. Like the gospel is really real and like I can see the church here is alive and so in love with Jesus and I can see the mosque here and people are sad and people are hopeless and they have nothing and their families are a mess and there's no churches. And, and so I just totally saw the difference in that and I really feel like that helped me as a child grow into an understanding like we don't just do church. Like this is, this is the only thing that's gonna save this country and it's the only thing that's true. Um, so you might think like, I don't know if my kids would get that. Like, they, they can get it. Like, they can grow in this. Even, at a, even as a teacher, I saw kids start grasping these deep things um, that we kind of sometimes take for granted when we live in a really um, church culture. Um, and then the last thing, it, it makes you uncomfortable and not in control. Uh, I think in America, well, really, any, everybody wants to be comfortable. It's not just an American thing. Um, a lot of people move to America to be comfortable. Um, but I think, yeah, God really calls us to not be comfortable. Um, he says to sacrifice. He says to leave it all and go. Um, and it, he doesn't want us to be in control. He wants us to be dependent on him. And um, it's, not, it's not our job as parents to um, make our kids comfortable. It's not, it's not what God has called us to. And and we need to be careful, and we need to make sure they're safe and, and growing up well. But um, I just love that Ching Hong shared that they eat simpler meals just so they can feel uncomfortable and not have everything. Um, it's, it's a good discipline. It's a good spiritual discipline. And so when you're in those environments, I just think it's so good for your kids to experience that feeling um, of not being in control and not feeling comfortable. And um, I think it definitely happens if you choose to have foreigners into your house here, you don't necessarily have to go somewhere, you're gonna feel uncomfortable and not in control. But yeah, I just wanna encourage you that it's normal and it's, it's supposed to be for your benefit. Um, and Aaron's gonna share a little more practically um, how, how can you make this happen? Because I know that not all of you are gonna move overseas, um, but how can you make this happen for your family now? Um, yeah, so as I th- was thinking about this, I just thought, I think, you know, if I can communicate one thing um, to parents, it would be this. And as I talked to my mom this weekend and just was trying to pick her brain about what, things she learned as a parent, um, she, she kind of added to this as well. And so I'm going to talk a little bit more, but developing God's heart for the nations is a journey. And I mentioned Katie and I are still working on it. And it is first and foremost a work of the Holy Spirit. Um, and I say that because as I was talking to my mom this weekend, she said, I, I was asking her, like, what would you say to parents about growing their children's heart for the nations? And she said, I really had to learn that you can't force it. And that was like the main thing. And it kind of made me laugh because ah, so many memories I have of neighborhood kids coming over. There was this one kid in particular named Alex. And I'm not a tall guy, but he was about half my height. He was my age. He was one of the neighbor kids, and he was a new, his family was new to our neighborhood, 
just like my family was. But he was Spanish, and I was American, and he didn't have any friends, and I didn't have any friends. Well, I kind of had friends through my school, but anyway, he didn't have any friends, and he knew that I was new, and so we had kind of seen each other and played soccer at the park a couple times, and so he would come over to my house, and Spanish culture is like, they ring the doorbell, and you come to the door, and he'd be like, can you come out and go play? I mean, just go play soccer or whatever. And he was this really annoying kid, and I was just, I would usually be like, no. And, and I was in middle school, and he would be like, why not? And I'd say, uh, I got homework I got to do for tomorrow. And he'd say, well, how much homework do you have? And I'd overestimate, be like, two hours. And he'd be like, well, um, okay, so when do you have to go to bed? And then I would underestimate and be like, nine o'clock. And he'd be like, okay, well, it's six o'clock now, so why don't you do your homework for two hours, and then we'll play for an hour. And it was like that kind of kid, like so persistent, like what do you say to that? And I remember like telling my mom, he's so annoying, I just hate hanging out with him. And um, so many conversations my mom had with me and with my other siblings who just had an attitude uh, of just uh, so many different things, but just sitting me down, I remember, and just saying, why do you think we're here? And that's not one you can really, (laughs) I don't have a smart answer for that. I know why we're here. And uh, her just, my mom just saying, look, life is, life doesn't revolve around you. And life, the purpose of life isn't to make you comfortable. And the purpose of the gospel isn't for you to be sheltered. And we're not here so that you can sit in your room and do homework. We're, we're here to be a light to other people. And he needs a friend. And, um, and your job as a Christian is to love him the way that Jesus loves him. And I mean, just all these lectures I can just remember for years and years. And so for her to say, like, what I learned is that you can't force it. I just kind of had to laugh. But, um, but really, <laughs> but really, yeah. Well, what I was going to say is, like, those lessons have stayed with me. And at the time, yeah, I, I was in eighth grade, and I, was, I wasn't super rebellious, but I was just like, Mom, you decided to come here, not me. And this is not my decision. This is not who I am. And and you're not friends with everybody that you meet, so I, why do I have to be friends with everybody that I meet? And, uh, you know, all these things. But, but as I've grown older, like, her, you know, her reminders and her lessons just have sat with me, and I've seen the wisdom behind them. And, um, and so, yeah, you can't force it on your kids. It's a work of the Holy Spirit. But, like you said, um, God has made us, um, you know, in his grace and, and, and confusing plan, he has made us, you know, co-authors with him you know, in his kingdom. And so um, he has given us a job to do. So you can go to the next one. I'm going to talk about five things um, that we can do. And so one of them is um, praying for your children um, or your child. Um, I know my parents did this all the time for us. And, and I know probably most of you who have children pray for your children regularly. But how many of you pray for their heart for the nations? Um, you know, Jesus said, um, Pray to the Lord of the harvest um, that he would raise up workers to go into the fields. The fields are ripe. And how many of you pray that prayer for your kids and say, Lord, just put a burning desire in my son or my daughter to be a worker, to go out into the harvest, to go be a missionary, to give their life for you. And maybe you do pray that prayer, but it is, you know, God said we should pray for workers to go out into the fields. And how many of us pray that prayer regularly, God, raise up workers? How many of us prayed that about this week like, God, use this week to raise up workers to go out into the fields. And um, I think that's an important prayer to pray about our kids. And, um, and it's a sacrificial prayer. It's something that, um, you know, a lot of us, especially if you've been born and raised in the States and in the same place, um, a lot of people are, are resistant to the idea of, 
you know, having their kids move across the world and being separated from your kids and your grandkids. And, um, and so that's maybe a place you have to get to in your own heart of, of, of saying, can I pray that prayer? And, and am I willing to pray that prayer and wrestling through that? But um, because changing a heart is the work of the Holy Spirit, prayer is our primary responsibility. Um, uh, provide opportunities. And uh, I'm kind of wishing now that I had listed some of the things that I came up with because I came up with a bunch of ideas of opportunities that you can give your kids to be exposed and um, uh, exposed to what? Uh, uh, there's maybe a list of things. But um, I think one of the key things is exposing your kids to be uh, knowing what to do when they're outside of their comfort zone. And, and Katie talked about this a little bit. Um, but uh, you know, you don't have to go overseas to get your kids outside of their comfort zone. Um, that can be something as easy as making them play with a friend that they don't want to play with, um, uh, making them uh, or, or doing service projects together at soup kitchens and saying, we're all going to go and we're going to do this today, um, or we're going to eat simply today, or, you know, in what ways can you stretch your kids? And despite their kicking and screaming and arguments or whatever sometimes, um, we have to trust the work of the Holy Spirit and trust the prayers and trust that we are training them up in the way they should go and, um, and that it is effective. Um, and so I wrote down a few things. Um, I think peer interaction is, is huge, but another, that's another thing my mom said is you can't expect, you know, because I was telling her, like, I think it's really important that kids have opportunities to play with kids from other cultures and other backgrounds. And she said, yeah, but you can't just expect that you can throw your kid in a room with somebody else from another culture and they'll come out best friends. And she said most of the time they come out frustrated and they come out, you know, uh, one of the speakers last night talked about how um, a Muslim family came over to their house and the kids from this family like ran all over his son's bedroom and jumped on his bed and took his toys and were playing with him and he has like no control and um, and that's um, that's an opportunity for, for mentoring and, and, um, and it is a good um, experience for your kids to experience just being out of control and being at a loss. Um, and so, uh, you know, peer, peer interaction, my, my parents, um, every year that I can remember from fifth grade to high school, they had uh, a high school student living with us, um, going to the school that they were working at and just boarding at our house. Um, so uh, a lot of times these were kids from other, whose parents were missionaries in other countries. Um, sometimes they were other Americans, but um, I had a big brother or sister for most of my life, and um, uh, there are student exchange programs here in the States that you can get a part of really easily. That's a great way to bring in an older brother or an older sister for your kids um, and, and have them stay with you for a semester or a year or something and, and get them exposure um, uh, to other cultures. Um, serving together, uh, I don't know, some of you may be familiar with a book called Operation World, um, which... Um, is a book that has uh, facts and figures and prayer points for all the countries of the world. Um, I know that there are other organizations like Pioneers and um, uh, Frontiers puts out one, also a booklet for every unreached Muslim people group left in the world. And this is not for countries, but for people groups. And it's made so that it's a little booklet that you can flip through with your kids and you can read as a devotional before they go to bed and say, okay, we're going to learn about this people tonight. And you read some facts and you read some prayer points and you take time as a family to pray for those people. Um, so that's another way to give them some opportunities. But uh, so many other things, um, inviting over college students for a fall break or for a meal um, as a missionary kid, my parents were living in Spain, and when I went to college, um, 
I went to a college where most of the kids were from that area. And so for fall breaks, you know, those three, four-day weekends, campus just cleared out. And I was the only kid left on campus except for my best friend who was from Hawaii. And um, we, uh, but I went to school in Michigan, and, and during my four years in Michigan, in Grand Rapids, which is a huge Christian Bible Belt area in the north, I was never once invited to someone's house for, for fall break. Um, um, reach out to people that you know. This, this church is full of people who are, you know, studying, um, and it's got a lot more internationals than a lot of the other churches that we've been to. Um, reach out to people when you know breaks are coming up and, and say, hey, do you have a place to go? Um, we'd love to have you over. Um, or um, taking them out for a meal. You know, Sunday lunches, um, my parents would set aside Sunday lunch, and almost every week we'd go out with someone from the church. And if there was a new person in the church, they tracked them down and they were like, what are you doing today for lunch? Um, make that a habit in your family of just saying, all right, Sunday lunches, that's, that's, that's other people time and we're going to seek out new people and we're going to seek out internationals, whatever it is, and, and take those opportunities. Um, short-term mission trips, Katie's, Katie's talked about. Um, uh, so I'm going to go ahead and move on, but those are some ideas of just small ways that you can reach out here. Um, mentoring and coaching, I've talked about this a little bit, but I wanted to, to share one story. Um, growing up in Spain, um, the churches in Spain are, are very, very small overall. Um, the church that I attended was pretty typical, and there were 30 to 40 people on a good week. We could all fit in this room. It's about this size, actually. Um, there was, I was, like I said, in middle school, and there were no other students my age. And so as a result, there was no youth group. Um, there was a nursery and, uh, you know, a little kid's area like here. But I was, in a lot of ways, kind of like Perry and um, just didn't have someone to teach me, didn't have other people to learn with. And I was 10 or 11 years old, so I had spent the first part of my life in the States where there were youth groups. And I, and, and I was used to that, and I wanted to be growing. But I, it was a Spanish church, and I didn't speak any Spanish. And so during the service, I'd fall asleep every time because... The guy's just up there, and you don't know what's going on, and you just conk out. And so, man, that was, it was that way for years. And then I, um, I remember when I got older, like 11th and 12th grade, just asking my parents, like, could I go to church with my friend? Because he went to an international church. And um, I was like, at least there I can be growing, and I just feel like I'm just not doing anything here. And year after year, I remember my parents having talks with us and saying, kids, um, you don't exist to serve, uh, you don't, <laughs> the church doesn't exist to serve you. You exist to serve the church. And at the time, I hated hearing that. And knowing every week when I would ask them, like, can I go to church here or can I just skip church or whatever, them saying, church doesn't exist to serve you. You exist to serve the church. And, and there is some truth that the church is supposed to serve the body and to prepare the body. But they wanted us to understand this message that if you're not getting anything out of it, what can you give? And that was a hard lesson to learn, but it was an opportunity they had to coach us through an, an, an uncomfortable circumstance. And so um, take those opportunities when, you, when your kids encounter uncomfortable circumstances to teach them that life is not all about you. And it's good to learn to thrive and to, um, you know, to be able to give God glory when you're outside of your comfort zone. And even if they don't get it at the time, often those lessons stay you know, long after you think that they've forgotten about them. Um, Model Christ's passion for the nations yourself. Um, we know that kids repeat uh, everything we say and they will do everything we do. And so if you want your kids to have a heart for the nations, the best thing that you can do is model it yourself. Um, and uh, I know I'm 
pretty close to my time here, but this is pretty much my last point. Um, so how do we become passionate about anything? Um, that's kind of a, a big question. If, if you don't feel this burning desire for the lost, if you, you know, Katie and I were talking about how even though we went to Korea and we thought, hey, we're going we're gonna to nail this, and then we got there, and, we're, and for the first two years, we were like, we hate Korea. <laughs> and we struggle so much loving these people. We don't understand them, and they're mean and grumpy and whatever. And, um, uh, you know, we, we struggled with that. And, uh, and yet, and yet, when we walk into a church building, the first thing we look for is like, how many internationals are here? And when an international walks in the room, we're like, I'm going to go say hi. And when opportunities come up to, um, to reach out to internationals, we're there. Or when opportunities like this come up, we're here like, you know, all week to, to support and to learn what we can and to be a part of it because it is, you know, a burning passion of ours. And if you don't feel that way, well, what can you do to get there? Um, and I think, uh, you know, aside from praying for your, for your own heart and that God would develop that passion in you, um, how do we become passionate about anything? Uh, you think about the other passions that you have. I mean, we, are, we weren't, we didn't all just come out of the womb like loving football or whatever it is that you're passionate about, right? How, how did that start? Um, usually you had somebody who, who pulled you into it and said, you know, this is something I'm passionate about, and they taught it, taught you about it. And... You know, every time, you know, maybe it was, you were one of those families where every time there was a football game on, your dad said, you're going to watch football and you're going to sit here and whatever. And maybe you ended up resenting that or maybe it grew into a passion for you. But the, the point is that passions grow through sustained, intentional investment. Passions grow through sustained, intentional investment. And so if you want to be at this place and you want your kids to be at this place, um, I like what uh, Mark said last night, one of the speakers, he said, you may need to take a de- detour. Um, as a family, and say, okay, this is our normal routine, this is what we normally do, but tonight, we're going to invite this, these people over, and it's a detour from what's normal, but um, that may be necessary, and then to make a habit of doing that, sustained, intentional investment, and I can promise you, God will grow your heart, and I wish I had more time to talk about my, you know, this area of my life, where in high school, I said, I want to go overseas, and I want to be a missionary, I want to devote my life to international missions, but in the back of my head, I always thought, but I'll never go to a Muslim country. And over the course of four years in college, God broke me down. And, um, and by the end of college, I had made a commitment to serve um, with Muslims because I had a heart for them and my heart just really broke for them. But it really came from meeting people and reading books and praying and taking more opportunities to meet people and learning, oh, hey, this guy just did a, a trip in Afghanistan. Let me go talk to him about what his trip was about. Um, taking those opportunities to learn and grow um, is how God will give you a bigger heart. Um, and so how do we, that's how we get passionate about things. How do we get passion for internationals? Um, one of my favorite quotes uh, I heard a pastor share once, it's an Algerian proverb, and it says, when you see a figure in the distance, you think that it's a lion. But as you get closer, you realize that really it's only a man. And as you get even closer, you realize that it's your brother. And maybe as cliche as that is, there's so much truth to that, that the closer you draw to internationals and the more sustained, intentional investment, um, the, the more detours you take to, to um, put names with faces and to get to know people, the more God will grow your heart uh, for those people. And then lastly... Um, Trust the work of the Holy Spirit. You know, we pray for our children, 
And my mom prayed, and she beat lessons into us, and, and my dad as well, you know, for years and years and years, and she probably got to the end of that and said, it doesn't work, you know? I mean, she told me that the other day. She was like, you can't force that on your kids, but the, um, the truth is um, God uses all those things, and, um, and it's his job to change a heart, um, and we are just called to show up and to obey and, and to do these things, and, um, and that's all that you can put on yourself. And so I just want to encourage you guys, um, go ahead and just skip two slides. Um, with, with this verse, the righteous lead blameless lives, blessed are their children after them. And um, uh, real quickly, my grandfather, Harvey Musser, grew up in West Virginia. Um, he married another girl from West Virginia, small town West Virginia, Lewisburg, West Virginia. His father owned a lumber mill that his father had owned. And when my grandfather um, got married, the lumber mill was turned over to him, and he and my grandma built their dream house in Lewisburg, West Virginia. And they attended a small country church, and they were living that way for a while. I don't exactly know how many years. And one day in church, my grandfather just felt God telling him, leave it all and go. And he didn't really know what that meant. He just worked in a lumber yard, but they sold the lumber yard, and they sold their house, and they packed up their... Uh, four kids at the time, and they moved to Brazil. My dad was six years old, and my dad grew up in Brazil. Um, so my dad grew up in Brazil as a missionary kid, um, and um, as a result of my grandfather's decision to pack up everything and go, my dad um, became a missionary, and my whole family, um, and my uncle became a missionary, and his whole family, and their two other siblings went into social work in the United States, um, and now from my dad's family, my wife and I are, you know, on this path to become full-time missionaries. Um, my brother is working for, working with refugees in Memphis. And, um, it's just amazing to me to see how one man's decision, um, has this trickle-down effect. And you never know what God's going to do, um, when you decide to be faithful and say, I'll go, I'll do it. And, um, pastors always, I feel like when we preach on missions, we're like, you don't have to go. Uh, I'm not telling you, you know, some people need to stay, um, but you might have to go. And, 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 and really the call of Christ can't be any clearer. And so um, I just encourage you guys that there's great blessing in this. And um, I wouldn't trade my experience. And I know my wife wouldn't either. And I know Betsy wouldn't either. And anybody who's grown up overseas um, who's had to face these tough lessons would say it's worth it. And so um, um, just want to encourage you guys and, and bless you. And if you have any other questions, um, track us down and, and we'd be glad to, to interact some more and pray for you and whatever you need. Thanks. Y'all, how blessed are we that she leads our kids and he is her husband. Man. Seriously. We, we are so blessed that our church in all aspects is working to do the mission of God and our kids are being led to have that heart. And I pray that that's how it is at home. A couple of things that Aaron was mentioning that were really cool. Some of the things that we try to do, eat at international restaurants. Instead of going to Chick-fil-A, go eat pho at, uh, on Cleveland and your kids will think you're crazy, but it'll be something that's totally different for them. Uh, have internationals in your home. Saturday night, we're going to have hot pot to celebrate Chinese New Year. 
uh, with Chinese people in our home. And our kids are going to be a part of that. It's going to be amazing. And so all those types of things are small things that you can do uh, to help lead your family into maybe some of those uncomfortable situations, but ones that are going to have lasting effects on your kids for years to come. All right. Our next couple, I'm so excited about the Denny's. Y'all can come on up. Um, they are amazing. I'm going to let them tell their story because uh, uh, I don't want to tell it for them. But uh, they are uh, former missionaries to Senegal, correct? And we're so blessed to have them in Memphis. It is crazy how God is just shaping Memphis uh, with the amount of people that are so missionally skilled and focused. And so they're going to tell us about some of their experiences and what um, kind of what God has done in their lives and what life on the mission field looked like for them and even packing their whole family up and going. So I'm going to turn it over to you guys. Thanks for being here. All right. Uh, we are uh, really excited to be here with you tonight. And uh, since we're in the third half of the evening, I uh, thought it might be good to make it interactive. As we share, feel free to ask questions and interrupt I realize everyone here may not be thinking through, okay, we're, we're thinking about moving our, our family overseas. And so some of the details we might go into might not be relevant. And so if you have other questions, things that, that interest you, please feel free to, to interrupt and we'll try to pause along the way and, uh, and ask for, if you have questions. I will let uh, Hillary give a brief overview of what our missionary career has been like. Um, we, uh, spent a year and a half in, uh, well, first of all, we have two kids, Adelaide and Mark. Addie is 10 and Mark is just turned six. Um, so we spent a year and a half in France in language school, preparing to go to Senegal. Um, Addie was in a French preschool during that time while we were in language school. And then we moved to Senegal in, uh, June of 2010. Um, and I was three months pregnant and Mark was born in, um, December and this is a picture of the hospital where Mark was born. So we're just going to give a little story. I did not get manicures and pedicures at this hospital. <laughs> um, we brought Wayne's bed and chair with us. You can see up there. Um, that was the private suite. That was the private suite. That <laughs> <laughs> really was. So um, Mark was born here in this hospital. Uh, just to give you, you know, an idea. I ended up having a C-section unexpected. So they hooked me up to my, do I, do we have a bunch of doctors in this room? Is that okay? <laughs> so they hooked me up to my IV and my catheter and they said, okay, let's go. I'm like, really? So we stood up and I walked holding my IV and they carried my, and we walked into the OR and I said, okay, I didn't know what I was supposed to do. So, um, so this is where our son was born. Um, this is him. This is, uh, we actually had an American surgeon that was part of that. That was lived right across the street from the hospital. And, um, right here, Dr. Um, Ted was his name, and uh, just really took care of us. These are our kids. And, um, and uh, this is one of the students on the left there that Wayne taught um, at the Bible College. And um, there were some really positive things that came from living overseas and the relationships that our kids had with people there. Um, here's our kids again. Uh, at Christmas, there on the left, and here on the right, this was our Wolof tutor. Wolof is the main African language that we spoke there. And Mark just loved him and would just sit. You can see him down there in the corner just sitting there. Um, just having a grand old time. Um, I was not having as much of a good time as he was. Um, our daughter, uh, actually both of our kids went to, uh, we were able to put them in a French public school in Senegal uh, for, she was there six years, I think, preschool through most of, part of fourth grade. 
Um, and it was a really good experience for her. She really got to know um, some of the kids in the culture. She got to know the language. She learned to read in French before she le- learned to read in English. Um, and just, uh, it, was a, it was a good experience for our family. And we'll talk a little bit more about that later. Um, another thing our kids were involved with was some of our ministry. Um, I led a, helped lead a Bible club for um, some of the French kids at the school. Um, some of the, the Catholic parents who really wanted their kids to learn the Bible. Uh, and so another missionary and I led that. And our kids were able to be a part of that. Um, and then just living, I didn't look at these pictures before I put them in. Um, like they just got used to living there. Honestly, the picture on the left there was, was Mark just born or right before he was born? We didn't have power. We didn't have water. You know, we're filling up the washing machine so that we can, it just went out a lot. So, you know, we had to fill it up with buckets and stuff like that. And it was just normal to them. You know, it would beep and they'd be like, Hey, the power's on mom. And they'd get all excited and, um, and yeah, so those are our kids. Um, so tonight we're going to talk a little bit about, um, we were asked in the email from Katie what some of our biggest fears were. And so basically at some point I thought I was going to ruin my kids physically, spiritually, and emotionally, and mentally. So those were kind of my, over the six years we lived overseas, they're really great kids and they're okay now. But, um, so we're just going to kind of walk through that, how we dealt with some of those fears and um, more practically, what did we do um, to help our kids and what people did to help us? So, yeah, and, and as we go through these, again, ask questions. And one of the things that I truly pray happens tonight is that as you hear us talk through how we went through uh, and addressed some of the fears we had, some of the struggles that we had going through this, that maybe even some of you who are not considering moving overseas would realize, you know what, that. That's doable. That we could, if the Denny's did it, they, <laughs> uh, I think we could do it. <laughs> uh, and, and we discovered that, that so many fears that we had before we went out, they, they were legitimate struggles and challenges, but through seeking God in prayer and seeking other wise people who have gone before us, uh, we were able to find wisdom for every, every next step. And God was was faithful to us throughout that journey. One, uh, one of the main areas uh, that we initially thought through, what are we going to do when we go overseas, was with education. How, how, how are we going to educate our kids? You know, I, I don't want to have move back to have my kids move back to America someday and they are way behind in everything and they can't go to college and this is a huge concern, and, and we move back here, and, and it's interesting. We, we realize how quickly we get caught up in that now. We, uh, our daughter, Addie, is getting ready to go to middle school next year, so we're thinking through, okay, what are the optional schools? Monday morning, I woke up early to go stand in line and, and get the ticket to figure out where we're going to go to school, and we're stressing about this some, and, and then at some point it hit me. You know, I'm worried about whether or not Addie's going to get into the right middle school. We only had really one or two options in Senegal. So we've got plenty of options here, but, but one of the main things that we had to wrestle with, uh, as we thought through how, how are we going to educate our kids, uh, is realizing that, uh, intellectual growth was not the top priority. And, uh, even that we're back here now, that's still difficult because we, I think as a parent, you often think, well, I want my kids to be able to have a good job, which means they have to go to a good college. 
which means they have to go to a good high school, good middle school, good elementary school. And, and you, you, you put that intellectual growth at the top. And, and one of the things that we had to come to grips with was, all right, our kids are not going to go to a top-notch school. And they went to a French, a French school, and uh, a lot of the French schools in Senegal were great. The one in our city was a lot smaller. There were nowhere near as many uh, extracurricular activities that were offered. A lot of things were, were not available to our kids. But one of the things that we had to do was say that there are other priorities beyond the intellectual growth. And, and I love listening to you guys share because a, a lot of the things that you learned from growing up overseas, those were the types of things that we said, we want our kids to know that. We want our kids to be exposed to other cultures. I think you shared this as well. Uh, for myself, I grew up a hick from small town in North Carolina. And I see what my kids are able to understand about the world and think, man, I was about 30 before I, I, I could understand. <laughs> yeah. And it's always fun when my parents come over and, <laughs> and visit us. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but that was a big thing that, that we wrestled with. And, uh, and, and a big, uh, another big area where, where we, uh, were able to help us uh, work through some of the, I guess, the opportunities for intellectual growth that they didn't have was being intentional about taking advantage of the areas where they did have an advantage in having some cultural uh, understanding of the world that most kids don't have. Uh, And oddly enough, you do have to be intentional about it. It is possible to live overseas and still shelter your kids from the culture. You, you do have to be intentional about it. Uh, and that was one of the things that we had to learn how to do. And, and as we did that, we also had to wrestle with the fact that uh, we're seeking God and looking at our kids at, as we understand them and know them. And we're going to do it differently than other parents. And that was a big struggle. You know, okay, we didn't send our kids to a Senegalese school. We sent them to a French school. And other parents said, we're not going to do the French school. We're going to send them to an American school. And, and everyone's doing it differently. And, and you, you have to wrestle with, okay, as we seek God, where is God leading us? And it might be different than the way God's leading somebody else, and that's okay. Uh, but we, we want to be intentional about uh, developing a heart for the nations and our kids. Um, so those are some of the things we struggle with in, uh, uh, one piece of advice that someone gave me um, back when Addie was little, before we went overseas, we were at a conference, and they said, where do you want your kids to be when they're 18? Um, they're going to have gaps along the way, but long term, where are you looking, where do you want your kids to be? And even when we are talking about middle schools this week, we found out that our daughter is not eligible to get into a um, white station. She doesn't have good enough reading grades. You know what? She can read in French. So she's got some gaps <laughs> in her English reading still. Um, But, you know, kind of look long range. Where do you want your kids to be when they're 18 or when they're, you know, 22 and graduated from college? Um, Because there are going to be gaps, um, which we often joke to. um, Small town North Carolina, he had a few gaps too in his education. But (laughs) he said it, not me. (laughs) Um, So that's one thing. And then just, um, you may mention this last one. Just be aware of who you are. There are a lot of different ways to educate your children overseas. Um, 
And we knew that for us, certain ones wouldn't work, like homeschooling. Um, I'm actually at MTR right now training to be a teacher, but homeschooling would have been really difficult for me. Um, so just know who you are, um, what you can do. Yes, God, God does call us to do hard things, but there are times where um, you learn what works and what doesn't. And so um, that's something that we looked at. Um, does anybody have any questions about that aspect? Yes. Oh, we're getting into that right now. <laughs> yes, we did. <laughs> I did. <laughs> okay, we'll just go right on to there. Um, so our second section is about health. <laughs> um, because that was another huge one of my fears, um, especially just um, I'm taking my kids to, um, I mean, Senegal, one, it's a 94% Muslim country. It's a third world country. Um, I am as far from a medical person as there can be. Like when my kids get shots, I have to sit like this and I can't look. So for me, um, I wasn't going to be any help. But um, one thing uh, that I think Wayne was the one who taught me this or shared this with me early in our marriage was that we have um, this illusion of control. And we have, even in the States, um, I think that I'm the one that keeps my kids alive or the medical system so is the thing that keeps my kids breathing. God's the one that keeps them alive and breathing anywhere. Um, and so just, that's one thing that just, um, I had to constantly be reminding myself of that, that it is by God's grace that we are anywhere okay. Um, now, all that to say, that it was still scary and we still did a lot of things to help our kids. Um, oh, Addie did get malaria, her, like our first two weeks in Senegal. Um, yeah, so what a way to what a way to go. <laughs> um, and so there there were legitimate dangers, and um, we did struggle with that. You know, every time our kids would get a fever, it would be, do we go check for malaria? What's you know, what do we do? Um, things like that. Um, some things that helped me uh, was finding people that I could trust to help. I have doctors um, in America that I would call. I wouldn't call them at all hours of the night, but I would call them in the middle of the night in Senegal during, you know, their working hours, people that I trusted and said, can you help me think through this? Um, my kid has a fever. I know if I go to the hospital here, they're just going to give him an antibiotic. What do I do? Um, we... By the way, on that, some of you, if you are planning on staying in the States, but you have a medical background, offer that service. I, I'm, I'm, not well, I'm not joking at all. We were very grateful to know people with a medical background, uh, especially in Senegal, you did not need a prescription to get any kind of medicine. And so a lot of times it was better to just call a medical friend and say, what should we get? Because we knew if we went to the doctor, they were just going to say, get an antibiotic anyways. So it didn't. Yeah. (laughs) And you can get the oral ones or the suppositories. (laughs) either one and just take the antibiotics. So, um, so that was a huge, huge help for me, uh, to find people that I trusted and don't just ask everybody, find people that you trust. Um, cause everybody wants to give you advice. Um, we also had someone on the field and I would call her, uh, any hour of the day or night, uh, if something happened, one of our teammates was a nurse and, uh, she realized she, you know, she would help me out. She would pray through things with me and she would talk with, okay, wait till this happens. Keep an eye on this. Um, because, yeah, it is scary. Um, we were in a smaller town. Uh, there was a hospital, and 
a few doctors, maybe like two that we trusted, um, that we knew would really look into what, what was going on. But, um, yeah. So, uh, learn things yourself. Um, I know they say stay away from the internet, but I did do a lot of research and things like that. Um, you know, there's a balance between WebMD and talking to someone real, but, um, uh, the book where there is no doctor, things like that, uh, I would definitely say, um, uh, be prepared. Uh, I'm just thinking people will probably criticize your decisions about taking your kids overseas, even if you go on a short term trip or, um, just be prepared for that. Have people that you know and trust, um, ask them and you just have to learn to deal with a lot of people disagreeing with you or, um, just got to let it go. And, uh, yeah, Wayne really helped me with that one too. Um, and another one, uh, ask people for lots of prayer. Um, it is a really hard thing to take your kids somewhere where, uh, is dangerous and you're worried. And, uh, I remember when Mark was born, you know, we thought we just, I thought I was going to go in get induced, you know, all this stuff. And we're still kind of, you know, we're in this African hospital in the second biggest city in Senegal. Um, we decided not to go to the capital and we find out that I have to have a C-section and like, I just started bawling and thought, you know, why are are we doing this? And, um, we called both of our moms right away, you know, and said, just be praying. It was a Sunday morning in the States. We said, just let people know, just pray because this is what's happening. Um, I had a C-section. I, 24 hours later, I was walking around holding my baby and 48 hours later I went home. Like, I don't think that usually happens even with C-sections in America sometimes. And I really think, um, and in Senegal especially, like, yeah, we went to, um, people were really praying for us and we just had to really, uh, humble ourselves and say, can you, can you pray for our kids because this is happening or, um, I'm just really afraid of this. And so that was one of the, the things, the other ways that I asked people to help me was through prayer. So, and as far as health risks, I I would also add there, it's very important to look at all the challenges and risks that there are related to your family and to your kids. And then it's also good to remember that those are not ultimate, that, if you're not going to go somewhere where it's more risky, then there's very few countries that you're going to consider going to. There, there, there are some other countries where you certainly, if you if you want to go to Europe, you certainly could find other countries where the healthcare is is very similar. But, uh, but if you're going to Africa and you're saying, well, I'm not going to go unless it's the healthcare is equally as good as something I can get here. You're not going anywhere. And, and that's something that we have to constantly remind ourselves as parents is that, yes, we have kids now. Yes, we need to think about our kids. But that doesn't mean that God no longer calls us to take risks. And, uh, and of course, we're, you're wise about it. Uh, we, we have some good friends that, that moved to Ivory Coast. And within their first year, their daughter got uh, e. coli, really sick, um, got uh, medevac to, to France. And uh, honestly, we remember praying and thinking their daughter's not going to make it. And that was a risk that, that they went through. And their daughter did pull through. Their daughter is 
is recovering, doing a lot better now, but now they realize that she needs certain medical attention. And so now that they know that, they're not going to move back to that same remote village in Ivory Coast because they're aware of that. And, and to me, that's one of those examples. If you know something is, is a horrible idea, yeah, then that's a good reason to not go somewhere because of a medical issue. But that, that's not the case in a, in a number of situations. Um, before we move to the last point, any other questions about health or education? No, okay. We'll keep going. Uh, the last point that that we often wrestled with was uh, spiritually. How, how do we uh, think through how we're going to disciple our kids? And one of the, uh, a couple of the challenges that we faced from, from being overseas uh, associated with that was uh, we were always exhausted. Just living in another culture we were always exhausted. So if it got to evening time and we want to do evening devotions, the first thing on my mind wasn't what Bible passage we're going to read. It's, you know, is six o'clock too early to put my kid to bed? Um, or 5.45? Gosh, surely, surely this is okay now. Yeah, it's got to be dark somewhere. It, yeah, that... That was so difficult to, to, to face that challenge of being so exhausted all the time. And then also, our kids did not have Sunday school. Uh, and so for myself, I, you know, I was a Bible college professor at, uh, over, over in Senegal. And, and, and at times, there, there was a little bit of pride to get over because all right, my kids, they don't they didn't grow up in Sunday school, so there's a lot of biblical literacy that other kids in America get that my kids aren't getting. And so sometimes we, we might think, well, all the MKs, they come back. They're the ones that really know the Bible well. And we come back here, and that was not our kids. They were not the ones that were familiar with every Bible story. And, and I would look at other kids and, and think, well, everybody else's kids, they, they, they knew all that. They had gone to Awana. They had memorized all these verses. They had this huge support structure beyond just the immediate family that was discipling the kids that we didn't have. And, uh, and one thing I will say, if you're here and you have that, take advantage of that. That is a huge blessing. If you have people beside yourself that can pour into you. But uh, that is a big challenge that we faced when we were over there. And uh, one of the things that I, I would highly encourage is make that a huge priority if you go overseas uh, and to some degrees, even if you stay here in the U.S., but you're involved in difficult ministry here, there's going to be a similar challenge of, you know what, I'm really exhausted because I've spent all day helping these other people. You know, it's 6 o'clock, can they go to bed? Uh, there's still that challenge there. And um, I know one of the things that, that we were encouraged to do was even uh, just give yourself grace, especially those first few years on the field. Uh, and even if you feel like, well, I haven't put in a full 40 hours work week <laughs> so far, don't worry about it. Just if, if you need to substitute doing some devotions with your family instead of doing some other work, do that. 
prioritize that. And hopefully over time, you'll get to where you're not as exhausted. So if five years in, into it, you're, it's still as exhausting, then maybe there needs to be some other things that needs to be shifted around. But especially in the beginning, we had to learn to give ourselves grace to, to slow down and say, okay, I, can't, I just can't get done as much as I, as I could have in the, in the U.S. Um, and, <laughs> oh, and then also with that, don't, uh, don't overshoot. I remember at some point we felt guilty that we were really poor about doing <laughs> consistent devotions with our kids. And, and so I thought, okay, we're going to get on top of this. We bought this curriculum from Desiring God. And I thought, you know what, kids in America, they get this curriculum, and that's what I'm going to give our kids. The are still Yeah. <laughs> we, we didn't go through it. <laughs> and, and I think that's one of the things that we learned for uh, discipling our kids and for our, ourselves is that do something that's manageable. Be, be reasonable, reasonable about what you can accomplish. And if especially in that first year, you're so overwhelmed that all you can do is a short devotional, that's fine. Just do something, do it consistent. Um, and then, you want to share about Yeah. Um, another thing is find a community, and uh, honestly, when you're overseas, this may not be church. Uh, for us, France was, our church was a real community for us. After we learned to speak the language, the beginning, we just would show up and smile and say, hi, my name is Hillary, and then we'd eat you know, at the meals. But once we got to know the language, we really enjoyed being with the people. In Senegal, it was not like that. Um, It was, you know, hot in church. It was chaotic. We'd send our kids to Sunday school and they wouldn't like it because it's just a little bit more chaotic with the kids there. Um, And so community was a real hard thing for us to find uh, within the church. And so we found it, um, uh, you know, we still went to church and we still served in the church, but we found community with other missionaries and with other people. Um, and this one I would say too, um, if you are single and overseas, um, pour into a family, uh, get to know a family, um, for you and for their sakes. You have no idea how encouraging it will be for a family for you to come over and just love on their kids or to, um, you know, we have a 10 year old daughter now and I'm an MTR and to have all these, um, 22 year olds that will come and spend time with our 10 year old daughter. Um, is more valuable than, you know, the schools that they go to or anything like that. And so find a community. Um, it probably won't look like it does here in the States, but you will need that community. Um, there was something else I was thinking of. I'm sure it was brilliant, but probably was. <laughs> <laughs> We're talking about church, give yourself grace, I don't know. Oh, yes, I know. Um, so we're talking about, like, devotions and things like that. And just from our experience, um, we look back at our kids and what they did learn overseas, and just hearing you guys talk was really encouraging, um, just the perspective that they have gotten. And I think that doesn't outweigh the fact that they got less biblical literacy, but that is a really important part of growing spiritually, too, I think, is getting to know other people and getting a bigger worldview. And so for our kids, while they don't have the biblical literacy like other kids would, going through Awana, the whole, you know, um, when people get to the, the missionary part in the Awana book, like, that's, that's our kids. You know, they, they know what that is. Actually, my, they were in Awana last year, and my nephew, he was talking about, yeah, next, next week we're going to learn about heroes. 
And Addie, my daughter, she goes, no, we're not. We're learning about missionaries. <laughs> and he goes, yeah, we're going to learn about heroes. <laughs> and she's like, what? <laughs> like, but it's just, um, she had that, you know, this is what we do. And this is um, who, you know, they love people from Maybe other. just a reference about us. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe, I don't know. But um, just they're comfortable with people who are different from them. Um, and so it kind of balances out, I think, a little bit. Yeah. So that's what I want. And and I'll close with one thought that, that hit me this week as I was uh, going to stand in line to get an application for a, an optional school. The thought hit me that, especially as I walked past some tents and, and realized that there were parents that camped out in order to, to make sure that their kids got into the school that they wanted. And, and it hit me that we, in America, we're very, very familiar with this idea of making sacrifices to provide things for our kids that they might not have otherwise. Uh, and then maybe it's camping out to get into the best optional school. I have friends, uh, I've talked to people that spend $60,000 a year to send their kids to private school. Talk about uh, a sacrifice that they're making. They're, they're looking at, at something and saying, this is so valuable that I'm willing to make this sacrifice in order to give this to my kids. Uh, something I would love to communicate is that the opportunity for your kids to grow up overseas and to learn all that comes with that, all of the things that, that, that these guys shared about, that's, that's worth camping out for. That's worth spending money on. That's worth being exhausted for. That you're, you're providing something for your kids that they're not going to get here. And I do realize that the way that the world has changed, we can offer some of that now, especially if we're inviting internationals into our home, we're doing some of that. But there's still something different. And we even, uh, we mourn the fact a lot of days that God brought us back to the U.S. Because I feel like there, even though we still uh, involve our kids, I'm, I'm still working with West Africans here in Memphis, so our kids are still around internationals. They're still getting that experience it's still not quite the same. And, and I do mourn that they don't have that anymore. Uh, I love that our son was born in Africa and everyone in Senegal said, you're not American, you're African. And, and he'll tell people that now too. He's like, I'm, I'm African, I'm not American. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you don't look African. But, um, but so, yeah, I, I hope that you would get from all of our experience that there's a, there's a lot of value to, to making that sacrifice and, and to raising your kids overseas. Um, I think we're at, at our time, so I'll hand it back. Thank you, brother. Thank you so much. Um, this hick from East Tennessee really appreciates that hick from North Carolina and all the things that you said. Um, so awesome. Um, one thing that I think stands out about tonight is we think of our children as a restriction to global missions too often. And I think one of the things we heard over and over and over again, whether it's on short term or thinking long term, is your family and your kids can be a huge asset to you overseas and the things that you're about and are doing. So I just pray that as maybe there are people in this room today and you're saying, you know what, I think that that's for me long term, maybe going overseas and and my family being a part of that. Um, just 
understand that that is such an awesome thing and such an awesome responsibility, but it's possible. If the Denny's did it, then we could do it, right? Um, and we're not, our children aren't missing out, but we're giving them um, something. Yes, it may seem odd and different, but our families are going to be blessed by it because if we're really called to go as a family to do that, then the Lord's going to bless it and he's going to take care of our kids because he's the one uh, that's in control. What an awesome night. Can we just give a, another round of applause to everybody that um, spoke tonight?